0: Podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia Sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place Franklin, the States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, July the 27th. We are back. Uh, ACC kickoff has come and gone, so clearly we're going to talk basketball. No, we're going to talk football. We're going to dive into uh, three uh, kind of sections or topics or what have you, which we'll get into in a second. Um, the first practice will be here. Uh, in about a week and a half, give or take a day, um, so college football season is rapidly approaching. Thank the good Lord. Uh, with me, as always, uh, I don't say always because you guys, you know, sometimes one of you guys will like be busy with like some softball game or something. Uh, out in insert name of city where he lives now, uh, David Spence, welcome back to the podcast, sir.
1: It is nice to be with you guys from Fishersville. Fishersville, that's David it. <laughs> Who Dave's on the board? At Who Dave's on Twitter?
0: And staff writer Justin Ferber, also now that his Skype worked, is also on the CavsCorner dot com podcast. Welcome back,
2: sir. And you never give any love to Arlington. I, dude, I don't have look. I, you know
0: what? You know where I think you live up there. I don't know, man. I just know I stayed there once. That's all I know. I I know you live in a place where there's lots of traffic. I, I that's all I know. That's anyway. Give the people I your. Give your give give them your uh, your Twitter handle so I can. Oh do yeah, Add
2: yeah. Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, and Cavs
0: Corner also on Twitter, Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Which, by the way, hit the six thousand follower mark yesterday. Not too shabby. Uh, also, would like to say that Twitter did not want to verify me, and I'm very upset about this. Did you guys see this? That Twitter decided to start uh, do, opening up the verification process. Yes. Um, and so basically anybody could apply, and so I did, and they said no, we're yours isn't really an account we're gonna we're gonna do right now. And I was like, well, thank the you. the
2: website or your personal one?
0: No, 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 the website. Because here's the thing, see, like we rivals tried for a while to get because all the rivals people, all the all of them are all all the analysts and stuff, they're all verified. They tried to get all the um, all of the pubs. Um, verify too, right? And so, what they did was they reached out to Twitter, and Twitter's whole thing was you had to have an email address that ended in like an, a verifiable, like, uh, uh, domain, right? So it had to be like at ESPN or at, at NBC News or at Yahoo Inc. Well, we don't all have Yahoo Inc. emails. Like a lot of us have Yahoo emails, but none of us have Yahoo Inc. emails. Like, what are we gonna do with that? Like that, like that makes us like way too official, and so. Sadly, they they were not able to make it work, and now even this, at least this time, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it once every week for like. Try
1: it again once you get your Verizon email. (laughs) Ha! Yeah,
0: uh, I just you know it's funny you said that I was like Verizon. I was like I already have Verizon. Oh, you mean like the thing? So yeah, Verizon Mm -hmm. uh, purchased Yahoo, uh, including obviously Yahoo Sports and Rivals uh, under the umbrella. I I think that that's going to actually be a good thing for us. Um, I mean, you know, Rivals and Yahoo Sports is a is a cash positive business. I mean, they're going to be something that either either Verizon's going to want to keep or somebody's going to want to buy, but yep. I'm not really worried about that. All right. Uh, football. Um, we'll be here very soon. Thank, like I said, thank God. I am uh, very tired of the off season. I am very glad to be doing Countdown to Camp stuff, finally. First practice will be next Friday. Uh, we get Friday, Saturday, and the following Monday. We get three practices, and then after that, we will get something, but we we aren't really sure what yet. Um, before we jump into some talk about, uh, I want to talk about Ferber's uh, incredible piece uh, that he that he we published last week, um, last Wednesday on the offense and the with the gifts and everything. I, I do want to talk about Bronco Mendenhall because I've written like nine Bronco Mendenhall stories this week, um, mainly because like the dude talked a lot and a lot of I, it's funny. A lot of times I'll go to press conferences or something like that, and like. There's not a whole lot, like, I don't want to say newsworthy, but there's just not a whole lot to do stuff with. But here I was able to get a lot of content, and, and I feel like it's all been very interesting. I have one more story that will run um, tomorrow afternoon uh, where he talks about the quarterbacks and, and some other stuff. I feel like Bronco has continually impressed people, um, but I also think that he, it's funny, this was the first time, like, I am I guess I'm not saying that he, he, I got the vibe earlier that he was, like, all about. Doing this stuff, but man, you really understood. Like he really doesn't like talking, even though he's really good at it. Um, what were some of you guys' impressions um, after ACC kickoff or during ACC kickoff of Bronco and some of the things he had to say? Did, did any what any did anything that you've seen so far stand out to you? What do what, what what do we think so far of of Bronco's kind of first foray into ACC media?
1: I mean, I think he's always he's always good in that situation. And if you haven't heard him before, he's an impressive voice. Um, I think those of us who have been hungry for information are getting a little saturated with you know the stuff he's got to say to new audiences to kind of understand who he is. Um, you know, that's kind of the danger when you when you hear something over and over anyway. But I do like I, I was intrigued that he's starting. You're starting to see him now, like make comments about the season, and it's not just about the practice and the and the process. Um, and you know for for me, and I, um, <clears throat> I think the big thing for me is we all know the, the lines are weak. Um, the fact that he said, you know, the depth on the team is going to make it hard to practice. Yeah, yeah, that's always a red flag. I mean, I guess I, you kind of want to
0: All right. I, I don't know if he – I don't know, man. I don't know if he was saying that the depth is going to make it hard to practice. I think he was trying to say that if he had more bodies, he could do more stuff. Right? Like – yeah, I got the impression true. from what he was saying that not necessarily like it's gonna it's gonna it, wow man we really don't have any bodies so we're not gonna be able to practice. Uh, it was that he wants to push them even harder and he would and he would do some more stuff, but they don't have enough bodies and so he has to be mindful that he can't get anybody hurt. I, I a lot of people had that reaction to to that little soundbite or that little quote and I, I guess I didn't take it the same way. I, I guess there aren't dr- a dramatic difference between what you said and what I said, um, but it's a subtle one and I feel like. For a lot of people, for a lot of people, like they're they're waiting for like the gloom and doom to show up in a way, and I kind of feel like sometimes that, you know, you kind of have to take the good and the bad. Like, is the Cohen thing no, the right? Thing is, yeah. Where, I mean, yeah, I don't like, know if
1: it's gloom. You kind of you just kind of hope, you know, the preseason awesome disease. You'll be <laughs> like, I know people think we're thin, but three or four of these freshmen are ready to roll. You know, right? It's that's true. Like, There's, yeah, yeah that's, there aren't a whole lot of those. Of
0: the- that's true. That's true, Ferber. What do you think? Would anything stand out to you uh, talking or hearing from um, from from stuff that Bronco had to say at ACC media kickoff? I know you're somebody who generally gets tired of like the cliches or the things that become cliche because we talk about them ad nauseum. I'm sure that you, if you hear or not give him more time, you might puke. Uh, what are what are what were some of your thoughts coming out of uh, ACC kickoff?
2: Yeah, it's kind of like one of the biggest issues with the whole thing. I mean, it's a definitely an event that's worth something. It's definitely a good event um, and a necessary one. But, you know, if you've been following the team uh, for the length of the offseason, there's not a ton of new information to be gathered because they haven't started practicing or anything yet. So it's not like he's had to see, got to see the freshman in action or anything like that. And you know that, I mean – from the London era. And obviously I don't think Bronco is going to be any more revealing. Um, you're not going to like when people ask questions like, so what's the quarterback situation? You're not going to get any new
1: information really.
2: You know no, what I mean? You're not. It's right. like, this is what we have and this is what we want right, to decide right. on. And this is how we're going to decide on it. Um, which is, you know, that's fine. Uh, and I don't blame Bronco for not giving everything away because he doesn't even know at this point, probably. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just kind of more of the same. And that's just one of the – it's not – it doesn't have anything specific to him. I'm sure every fan base probably gets the same reaction to their team that they're used to hearing about all the time. Um, obviously, like, you know, some of the questions are things that fans have thought of in, in recent months, like the depth in certain positions and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, you're going to get pretty muted answers until camp starts. And then I think once camp starts, that's when you start to get, okay, you know, such and such freshman is getting a lot of reps here. Right, or this right. guy isn't getting nearly as many reps here, but he got moved to safety or something. And then you can kind of get clarity as to what's different and, you know, get a better picture for where the team is.
0: Right. The interesting thing to me is if you think about, like, what spring ball was. Spring ball in a lot of ways was a we- was a weeding out period, but I think it was also, like, the the – the, the first leg of a race, right? I I don't want to make it sound like that they weren't doing football stuff because they certainly were, but the point of that wasn't to get ready for a game, and I really think that having having covered that team in the spring and having kind of those were my first interactions with the staff, and then seeing Bronco now, like when he starts talking about the schedule or starts talking about the ins and outs of like what's what, what, you know what what they have to do this season and what have you, like. That level, there was a there was a thing, there was like a, a level of focus in him that was, I don't want to say scary, but it was definitely intense. There was an intensity, there was an edge, you know what I mean? And like, I to me, that was one of the two things that stood out, was that like, I think what we saw in the spring was in and of itself just a, a way for him to kind of um, welcome the players into the system that he wants to, the program he wants to run. This was different, this, I mean... He was, uh, he he was like I said, he was, had this laser focus, and when he talked about what I would call football things, he was incredibly intense, and I thought that was kind of telling. And I think you know, in a way, we've been so focused on like this stuff about like you know they're earning other numbers and they're the not giving and this and this and this, but like at the, but the bottom line is like, dude, you got to go play a football game. You got to go play a bunch of football games. You got to get better at football, and so like. Some of these some of these things that he talks about it, 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 to me it just shows you some of the way he, the, the ways he thinks. The other thing that stood out to me kind of speaking to that was he made a point at one point somebody asked him about the um, the ACC kickoff or what have you or being part of a conference and he said one of the things that surprised him was that when he when he talks now, people pay attention whereas when you' when you are the coach somewhere for 11 years and you you're saying similar things over and over again. There's a level of like, hey, you know, we know what you're saying and kind of tune you out. Whereas now he feels like a lot of people are, you know, kind of really open to whatever it is he's talking about, whatever kind of message he's trying to send. And I think that speaks to both the media, our our kind of uh, need, desire, fascination, whatever word you want to use f- with the stuff he's saying. But also, too, like with the, just the ins and outs of the program, like we don't know. What they're going to actually look like, we're trying to figure it out ourselves. We're trying to, you know, to obviously to do a good job in uh, in, in our in our professions. But I think I feel like that to me was was telling because it kind of shows that just because he did something there doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do that uh, at UVA. But he's definitely aware of the fact that 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 he does right now have very, uh, very like deep buy in. And if that's the case, if people are if fa- players, fans, media folks, or whoever are that tuned in, he. He he can do whatever he can he can go for. It. Like he, he can set this thing up exactly how he wants. He doesn't have to worry about the way it's ever been done before. He doesn't have to worry about uh ruffling any feathers. He can just kind of do whatever he thinks is right. And I think that's 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 kind of uh that's kind of important. Um anything let's talk about some of the actual specifics he said. I, I took away the fact that he's not married to the three four and you guys have both been watching a lot of film lately. Um Clearly from his, you know, he even said it himself, they played more 4-3 last year than they played 3-4. They had a game, I guess, against UCLA where they basically played one defensive lineman the whole game. That's been a question a lot, you know, what's the defense going to look like? And I feel like week to week, you're not going to know exactly what they're going to, you know, what package they're going to be in. Like, I feel like it's going to be a matchup thing. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You got? What do you guys think? Because I can see both sides of it. I can see it being a positive in the sense that it gives you a chance to move a lot of chess pieces around, but I – for a young team that hasn't played a system and is trying to find playmakers and guys to kind of settle in roles I wonder if it's not better for those for those guys to play the same look over and over to get those reps uh, that they obviously don't have. Dave, what do you think? Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing that they're looking to be a little bit multiple uh, on defense?
1: Well, you're going to see multiple offenses, so there's no negative in being multiple on defense. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think anytime you're at a school like Virginia or BYU or yeah, you know, it's not – you can't get everybody in every year and you um, maybe don't have the recruiting footprint that you would hope to develop, had the potential to develop in Virginia that maybe you didn't have at BYU. But anyway, you don't have it yet um, just because of, you know, the last eight years. Anytime you can be multiple and be successful, <laughs> it's, it's not a negative thing, um, especially when you start adding up you – know, just the, the lack of depth on the line. Now it doesn't matter how multiple you get, you still got to get to the, you got to be able to stop the run and get to the, get to the quarterback. Um, but yeah, you know, for me, I think the one thing I am least worried about is the defense, um, as a whole, like if, you know, if you're going to take a <clears throat> defense versus offense, it's defense. I'm not worried about because Bronco has a history of being very good in defense with a lot of moving pieces, a lot of different schemes, um, and against some very good competition at BYU now, um, so yeah, I, I do like it. I'd prefer not to have to play a one, a one man defensive line. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, it's if you've got that, if you've got that ability, I, I really liked how, the quote he had. You know, the best eleven. Right. That I do like because you know that makes then you can build the right way with the right people. Right. If, if you're willing to adapt to what you do, to what you have. Then you don't have to take a flyer on someone who maybe doesn't have a buy-in to the to what you are, which we've right. discussed at nauseum.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel like I mean, like I said, I, I I think that I can see some merit to the idea that guys playing like for example, let's say you're you're playing one week and you and you're going to be primarily more three-four, so that way you're going to be using that other linebacker a lot. But then the next week you're going to be primarily like in a three-three-five, so you're using that defensive back a lot. I don't know if it helps the linebackers to not be alongside guys that they're supposed to be alongside of, right? I mean, I understand they play, they face different offenses, but at least from the base, at least knowing who's around you, and uh, I mean, you're going to have different packages, or excuse me, different looks and stuff that you run out of the package. But I just, I, I wonder if with a team that is trying to uh, get used to a new system and a new style, if having some continuity wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, they, you know, it's, it, it seems, it seems kind of counterintuitive that it. You know, Um, for what do you think? Do you you see any kind of overt negatives uh, in the possibility of them being multiple? Or do you you just look at it from a purely football standpoint, uh, assuming they're successful, obviously, uh, and the positive that they
2: bring? Uh, The way I look at it is if they're more multiple throughout the season, then it's probably a good thing just because if there's something that if they're trying different looks and only one look is really working, then I'd assume the coaching staff would just stick with it, um, even if it's not necessarily advantageous from a matchup standpoint. Um, I, do, I am a big believer, especially on the offensive side of the ball, in execution and having a plan and just sticking with what you do and trying to do what you do better than how the other team is going to do, trying to stop it. But the defense, I mean, is more of a reactive you know, side of the ball. So I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Um, I don't think it's like basketball where it's like, you, you know, you play the pack line, the entire game, you don't want, you know, you don't just like switch to zone. Um, I think it's a little bit more fluid than that, especially when it's personnel based because any defense in the course of a series, is going to sub out linebackers for cornerbacks and cornerbacks for, you know, maybe pass rushers in certain situations. And then you have your short yardage goal line stuff. So the defensive sets are changing all the time anyway. So I think if you have to change them on a game to game basis, that's not as big of a deal. And it all comes down to the actual game planning part and making sure that the players understand how to communicate with each other and all that kind of stuff. Uh, before game day so it doesn't become an issue if you you know have a personnel group like a one down lineman and, and uh 10 guys back set up where guys are all over the place and not where they're supposed to be and not communicating right but i think that falls on the coaches and um i think if Broncos is okay with mixing up the defenses to create good matchups i think that you know if he can find the players that can execute it then um, i think it's fine one thing
0: one yeah. thing go, no go ahead dave
1: no, I was going to say there's a really interesting stat. Um, yeah, they don't, it's hard to find such detailed stats on the, on the college game, but in the pro game, almost two thirds of the snaps that a defense plays it's outside of its base formation. So, you know, there by, by the way the game is played, you're going to be multiple. Um, I think, I think you kind of hit on it. though the issue where you don't want to be multiple is you've got to have a scheme you recruit to, um, you, know, you can't just go pick out guys and then say we'll figure it out when they get here. So, you know, I think my hunch is it'll probably settle on that three-three-five look, um, with enough guys to to alter to a three-four. But it's, yeah. you know it, there is certainly I, I see both sides, and um, <clears throat> I do like the fact for multiple. You just look at the offenses we're going to face in the coastal. Um, you get Carolina, who's high tempo. You get. Miami, who we, we assume is going to be very Georgia-like, which is a pro-style um, with the very good-armed quarterback. you got Pittsburgh who's going to try to run it down your throat and take a shot. Um, and then you, you think about what we have with the previous regime, which is teams like Pittsburgh and Miami we did well against because we played a base 4-3, and you know, <laughs> that was, that's kind of old-school football. They know how to attack it, but when you got against teams that screened you a lot, the 4-3 wasn't great at right. responding to that. Right. Um, so you know, there certainly anytime you're multiple in anything, it's good. But the caveat is you need to be good.
0: Yeah, you got to be. You got to execute. I kind of feel like too. One last thing on the on the defense. It's it's it, it, a lot of it might kind of. I don't want to say it, it falls to to one player, but in in a year like this where Wilkins. Well, I wasn't gonna say Wilkins. I was actually gonna say Malcolm Cook, because Malcolm Cook has linebacker size with some safety kind of you know what i'm saying like he would be the perfect kind of hybrid to 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 fit between those positions and quite frankly i almost feel like the bottom line for bronco has been that he, he liked the 334 um over the years but i think he I, I, there was a comment about he said something about that if the if the response of the recruiting class so far was any indication that the turnaround would happen sooner than later because They've been kind of uh, very excited, I guess, about the response they've gotten from recruits. Now, I think that it's very possible that he thinks that he can find an athletic, larger kid to kind of be a, a, a hybrid linebacker slash safety that he can put uh, all over the field. And if that's the case, if you have an outside linebacker who you, you trust to go both go forward and go backward slash sideways, um I, that, that's a game changer for 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 a defense. Obviously, I mean, you talk about multiple. If you can have a guy who the defense, the offensive line isn't isn't sure whether he's going to come out to the quarterback or if he's going to drive back in coverage, like that's a that's a that's a hell of a weapon. And so I kind of I don't want to put the whole thing on on Malcolm Cook, but I think that type of player is a perfect example. Jordan Mack, for example, could he be somebody like that? Um, you know. If they can find an outside linebacker who can kind of fit a little bit between those positions, as opposed to okay, this is your base three four because that dude is definitely a linebacker, whereas this is your base you know three three five because that guy is definitely a defensive back. I think that piece, you know, if we're talking about execution, I think in terms of slotting, that that might be the place they eventually want to go. Whether they can get it there this year, I'm not uh, not really sure. Um, Let's transition from the defense to the offense and talk a little bit about what we've what we kind of, have kind of broken down for folks uh, in, in that piece last week. First off, again, I want to give Ferber a huge shout-out because that was a ton of work. Um, I mean, just made my head spin, honestly. We, we looked at trying to break it up into two pieces. Uh, it just fit best as one. I'm really glad we ended up doing what we did. Um, I kind of feel like I learned a little bit about Robert and I in that, uh, in that piece Ferber, tell me, was there anything When you were doing research for this that, that really stood out to you Surprised you, something that you learned What what did you kind of really take away From, from kind of researching that piece and, and putting it together
2: So one of the things that I kind of Took away from it, uh, besides The obvious uh, And this is something that I guess Broncos Kind of talked about in the past When he came here uh, Is that Anai Is able to kind of adjust to what he has to work with and I think that everybody says that like you know they just try to put the best players in a position to succeed but I think that he really does that and um, I mean obviously the quarterback situation that he had to deal with with uh, Taysom Hill going down two years in a row and was you know replaced the first year by Christian Stewart who was pretty serviceable I'd say but um, not like a you know pro game changing talent or anything like that and then uh, Tanner Mangum, who it was you know an elite eleven quarterback and a highly rated quarterback, but he didn't—he wasn't the Taysom Hill mold. He didn't have much of a running presence, uh, and he was young and hadn't really seen any game action. I think the Nebraska game where he was thrown into action was his first game, um, and not only were they able to tailor the offense around Mangum, but they were also able to tailor the offense around Mango and be successful. And I think that is kind of an underrated component um, is that, you know, you can adjust to the players if you need to, you know, because of injury, but it's one thing to do that. It's another thing to actually do it well. And uh, they didn't really see a drop off in production as far as points per game. Uh, they threw the ball more, they spread the ball out a little bit more. And uh, I think this is something that Dave actually hit on at one point in the past. Um, you know, you kind of watch the offense with Hill and you see, the receivers out there blocking and, uh, you know, doing things to help Hill in the running game. And then in Mangum's offense, they they were able to make the plays as wide receivers. Um, that wouldn't make you think that they were necessarily even the same guys that you saw in the other offense. But, um, I think that that's something to, uh, you know, we'll have to keep an eye on. And, and that's why, you know, somebody asked in the thread about Johns versus Kurt Bankert and, uh, I don't, I mean, I think they're better off with a mobile quarterback, but if Johns ends up being the best option, I, they can find a way to uh, play to his skills. Right. Um, and then, obviously, another thing was just the success in the red zone. Um, oh, yeah. They, last year, they were incredibly successful in the red zone. And, uh, you know, I think Dave, when I was actually doing the research, said something like, wasn't UVA a top 30, 40 team in red zone last year? And they actually were. <laughs> but that stat is based on percentage of scores, right? Mm-hmm. So the way that that's basically determined is how many times did you score in the red zone? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's a field goal or a touchdown. And uh, I mean, everybody's percentage should be pretty high because if you have a decent kicker, you're going to make your field goals inside the 20. So UVA, I forget what their exact percentage was, but they had a 51. 51% touchdowns? Yeah. 50- uh, no, no, 51% scoring. Wait, I thought, yeah, it, it was, I thought it was 50% like, scoring. It was, I think it was 51% touchdowns, 36% field goals or something like that. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, BYU, yeah. and BYU was like 75% touchdowns and like, you know, 22% field goals. Which is actually um, a sizable difference. you know. If yeah, you think you're about talking it. about, and they also had 22 more opportunities in mm-hmm. one more game. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they had 55 red zone trips. UV had 33. So right there, you know, you're looking at, um, and they were actually, I mean, everybody knows that BYU played at a faster pace with Hill, but they actually played slower with Mangum. Um, if you look at the adjusted pace stats for, uh, you know, like them versus the rest of the country, uh, you know, like a team like Oregon was like in the 95th percentile of pace, uh, BYU for adjusted pace, which accounts for whether the, pa- it's a pass play or a run play, um, they were, I believe the 26th percentile actually in pace, um, So they played slower with Mangum. Obviously, pass plays take longer, so you're going to run fewer plays anyway. Um, But they were able to kind of get the ball into the red zone a lot more effectively, even with less plays than they would have had with Hill. Um, And once they got there, they scored touchdowns. And I don't know. I mean, I can count countless games where I've written things down in the press box uh, over the last couple of years. Where you know they got down to the red zone and the game was three to nothing UVA and they settle for a field goal and they go up six to nothing or they're you know they're up ten to nothing and they make a field goal to go up thirteen nothing and you kind of circle it and you're like all right they're in a good position now right. but I feel like this is going to come back to haunt them all later that they didn't punch it in here yep. yeah and I- then you see like things like what Notre Dame did in that game where you know they got you they you know they drove down and got into the red zone and then they scored on a fake field goal. And I mean, look how big of a difference that ended up being in the game. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I look at it.
0: Uh, I, I kind of want to talk about what we think the offense is going to look like because I think that's the question that everybody has. I feel like I have a, f- I have like, I, I feel like I'm like 75, 80% done with the puzzle, right? And I just have a lot more pieces that I need to add in to, to figure out where that other edge is and, and finish filling the thing in. I feel like they're going to be fast. They're going to be, um, I think it's going to be spread to, th- Spread, to, spread to throw, but but with the read option elements, right? So like they're not going to just want to run it, but they definitely will. Um, maybe like 65-35 between the two. Maybe 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 sixty forty. Um, I, I, can, I I feel like uh, Ben Kurt does have the leg up, mainly because I think that his experience in the system is going to be a huge uh, boost for him because. I know it's so cliche to say the game slows down a little bit, but I think it's not necessarily the game, but the choices that he has to make with the ball. And I think that's the biggest piece of this whole thing is that can Johns or Brewer get out there and execute quickly enough, get the ball out fast enough um, for the offense to have success. And I think that's where Ben Kirk kind of has the edge is because he has that experience in the system. Um, But then again, he hasn't played obviously. So we have to, you have to keep watching that. Uh, Bronco even spoke to that. He's like, you know, don't count out Matt or, or Connor. And he, and he made the point that, like, listen, just because he w- his ideal is to have this dual threat element in the offense doesn't mean he's going to pick the quarterback who is necessarily the best dual threat guy. He's going to put the most efficient quarterback out there, the guy he feels like can score, help him score the most points. So I kind of feel like I, have a, I know who the, what the offense is going to look like. Here are the two unknowns to me. One is the role that Mizel and Zacchaeus play. I think we all assume, rightfully, that they're going to be moved all over the field. That's just commonsensical, right? You've got these two weapons that are very versatile. you've got to use them off of each other, OK? But my question, my question is, how, how, how do what they do? How does that fit with what everybody else does? I have sat in the press box at Scott Stadium and called plays for years now, okay? this cannot be a situation where every time x happens y happens right and I, and I hope I, I mean maybe because you know new coaches and you know whatever but like you have to hope that that's not going to be the way it is that like if if myzel and, and Zacchaeus are both for some reason lined up in the backfield together that it's not definitely a run you know like that they, they'll do multiple things out of multiple formations and, and at least keep folks guessing a little bit that to me is the big is one big unknown to, and then the other one is the rest of the receiving core, right? All right. I think we understand. We we think we know what they have in Andre Lavrone. We think we know what they have in, Levar- in, we we they have, um, in a guy like maybe a Warren Craft or Keon Johnson, physical you know, dudes that can kind of go. We know David Eldridge can stretch the defense a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure what they're going to get right away out of Donnie Dallin. I feel like he may have had like an off-season cleanup of his knee, uh, but he, he's he been working out, so that that's a good sign. Um, I guess my question is, what do the rest of the guys like? How do they fit in? How do they execute? Um, are they, you know, are, are drops still a problem because that has been a problem in the past? Those two question marks kind of make me wonder what the offense is going to look like. What do you guys think? Would you have? Do you think you have a feel right now for what you're going to see when they actually take the field, Dave? What do you think? Do you you feel like you know what the offense is going to look like?
1: I do, and it's in some ways, I mean, it's it's not going to be. <laughs> Uh, we're not going to have as many issues of like with what the heck was that. I mean, um, and that, that's the bottom line. There's going to have a, there's going to be a plan, whatever it ends up being. I, I do know for certain that we're going to use formation and the width of the field to finally make it easier to create space for our players. Something we've never done, and rarely done. I, I guess I'll give them rarely done. Um <clears throat> I mean, I know that's for certain, especially when you give when you think about the depth we have on the offensive line, and the speed and versatility of some of the the playmakers on the team. You know, the field you can line up as wide as you want on the field, and we've never done it. I guarantee you, we'll we'll be doing that this year. Um, going back to the quarterback thing, I think you're right, Ben. You know, I think we've said it all along. Ben Kurtz probably got the the um, the favorite in the clubhouse to end up winning the starting quarterback position. But I'm a little less hesitant to, I mean, a little more hesitant to say that now after kind of watching a lot of film the last couple weeks. Um, Watching film. I'm in my own little room watching film, but you know, YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It counts, it counts. after. Yeah, I get it. And Ferber, you may have had this too, like I was under the impression because of the, the little bit of talking we did about Taysom Hill going into the games Virginia played against BYU. I was under the impression that he ran a lot because he couldn't throw. No, he's just like, like if you think that, and I was guilty of it. If you go back and watch him play other games, he could throw. It's just, he was a special runner. Um, yeah. He's an it, incredible athlete. Yeah. So I don't think you can just say, Hey, we just need a guy who can run well and kind of throw. Cause Taysom Hill, when he did throw though, he always, he made the right read more than not. And he made it quickly. And that's what you need in that offense. So, that's going to be a challenge for Kurt. I mean, does he make it to a point where is his quick decision-making enough to, um, <clears throat> enough to go along with his mobility? Um, that's why I think maybe a guy like Connor sneaks in and surprises us all. Um, but yeah, it's, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to say the
2: one thing I, I forgot to mention that I noticed was, and I wrote about this kind of extensively, is how, um, like you said, the reads are important, but, the play—it's like set up for them to succeed. It's like if you can make the reads, it's there for you. Like you don't have to overthink things. You don't have to wait for guys to get open. Um, it's just there. Like the first play of the the gifs that we did, or gifs—I don't know, however you want to say it. Um,
0: it's supposed to be gif, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Graphic, 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 so, yeah. graphic. Right? Yeah, right. exactly. We got that out of the way. Woo um, But the first play of the Nebraska drive that I broke down. That was like the easiest play, and they gained like 30 yards because Hill literally caught the snap, took three steps to his right, which he was definitely planning to do. It wasn't like he just did it. Um, And then the defense basically was split open by the routes that they chose to run on the right-hand side, leaving the underneath guy. Basically, he had to wait and see what the outside linebacker and I think that outside like the corner or safety had to do I can't remember exactly now yeah Um, and he was waiting on to see what they would do and the linebacker froze to kind of stay with the running back who was lined up to Hill's right who ended up basically blocking and it freed up the inside receiver who was just running like a five yard out and as soon as Hill saw that linebacker kind of dive in towards the line he knew who was going to be open and he just was like all right and he just threw it to him real quick and he gained 30 yards
1: yeah you're Um, right that Uh, I was going to say that was was a very, right. You know? Yeah. Now that play was really like, you know, um, what, what I wish we, I could do and had the ability to do was I guarantee you that there was a game prior to like at some point in the year before or whatever, that BYU was in that formation in that situation and didn't do what they didn't in that, on that play no no I,
2: I, it's like it's like five options and it's yeah like, the options that you have
1: so it's on what i keep thinking about um i've been trying to remember who it was um and you guys will tell me and i'll be like oh well duh but there was a game where virginia came out and tried was deep in the was it maryland maybe like the first play of the game was a pick six on a little out that miami Miami that was Miami that was a Miami yeah, yeah that
0: was the David Watford throw the touchdown yeah what, what looked like game.
1: a simple play but you only do if you're in that formation and you take one step that's what you do on every time you've done it we are gonna right there was
2: it. no there was no choice he didn't have an option it yeah was like, exactly screen I think
1: so it was like he just took a step and threw it like yeah and what, what I found most fascinating with with an eye and it's like Bronco like when you go back and look, like most of the success, BYU had a couple years in there where they were, their wins were down, but they were playing some really tough teams, um, tougher schedules then. But when, you know, when, when Anai and Bronco were the OC and the DC, that's when they tended to have <laughs> the most success. Yeah. But if
2: if you, we talked about this a little bit off air, but if you look back at the years where Anai was there, they averaged like 33 points a game or something over those, I think it was six or seven years. And in the years in between, they weren't bad. I mean, obviously, they made a bowl every year. But their their offenses were noticeably worse. Um, they averaged like 24, 25 points a game, and in the one season, they their defense only allowed like fourteen points a game or something ungodly low. And they <laughs> just, went like seven and five, losing game. They lost like a seven to six game to Notre Dame. They lost six to three to like Boise State or somebody right. like that. And it was just like a bunch of games like that. And then Anai was back the next year. Right. And even that game where he was the OC, the first game of Anai's second. Uh, go around at BYU was at UVA, and their offense was really mired in that game. But he yeah. was—I think their offense. I think that was just because he was—it was his first game back. Uh, Hills—I think that was Hill's first year as like the real like the starter. He had played a little bit the year before, um, and they were missing their best wide receiver in that game.
1: Yeah. Um, and so, a lot of the success was built on non-mobile quarterbacks. I mean right? You, yeah, they ran though. The they Beck- ran
2: they ran the ball over and over and over again against UVA in that game. And partially it was probably because of the weather, but I just remember it felt like read option was every single play in that game.
1: Um, you go watch the film on Hill. You're like, maybe that's not a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's Virginia.
2: Right. Like you said about Hill, like he's such a talented runner that, I mean, he makes things look easier than they will be for Bankert or Johns or anybody, but you kind of see what they're looking for now, what they want. Um, and you can find that athleticism. It's out there. It's just you just gotta harness it. And then Hill also has a fearlessness that I mean I might have come back to hurt him like literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, true. But but uh, he like runs very hard. Yeah, so does. but another thing you'll notice about Hill is like uh it is just he can do stuff that makes things look easier than it might, you know, otherwise be. And it's funny because they got bankered, which was obviously somebody that they really wanted. But there were some rumors out there that, you know, if Taysom Hill decided to leave BYU, like this would be a good fit for him. And I feel like just by watching the film of him, this is another thing I noticed. If just by watching the film of Hill, if he was here and healthy, I think they win like <laughs> nine games. Yeah, said good. Yeah, he, that, he, that's he really a, is good.
0: That's a, that's a good segue because one of the things I was thinking about from – from the story that I wrote this afternoon was there's a, there's a portion of there where, where Bronco's talking about, you know, the, the rebuild. And he says, I'm not a miracle worker. Um, it's going to take, you know, it's basically making the point like, Hey, it's going to take some time. And there's been a lot of conversation in the last you know week or so the the, the Cohen news kind of drove a, a piece of it, but then just the, the depth thing, I think really, really kind of hit it home. This idea of like what the season is going to be now we're going to do, uh, in a few weeks, month or so we'll, we'll do a, um, uh, a preseason podcast where Dave and I will be absurd, and Ferber will be very reasonable and um, that'll probably be what Virginia's actual record is. So I don't want to necessarily get into picking games or giving records or anything like that. but I do I, I want to get into this idea of success. What a successful season is for the Cavaliers this year. And the reason I want to talk about it is because I kind of feel like when I look at when I look at the discrepancy between coaching staffs developments, all that kind of stuff, I understand the depth situation. I trust me, I get it. And I understand that it's not, you know, Bronco's not a miracle worker. They're not going to, you know, magically turn into a 10-win team. But I just look at the last, let's say, just say three years, okay, and then the amount of ineptitude in these games is just astonishing. And I'm not saying that because I'm just trying to throw shade. I'm being honest about just how far, quote-unquote, far they have to come. Bronco made the point that they lost a lot of games by five, six, seven, eight points, and that, but that's actually a lot. In terms of trying to turn, you know, turn the ship around, and I'm sorry, I just I don't know if I can get there. Like I understand that from from certain vantage points, right? Whether it's uh, the cal- caliber player you have, the the amount of uh, div- of of coaching they have, the the way the schemes fit, I get that their their guys have to take some strides, make some strides. I get that, but like I, I watch some of these games that Virginia should have won and would have won if they didn't have. What twelve offsides penalties or some un- some ungodly thing like that? You know what I'm saying? Like there there were games in there that were very winnable um, that they should have won that would have you know made a huge difference in their in those seasons. And I just feel like a staff that has uh, has its crap together will win those games. And I don't think that the cupboard, while you know, look, they're not like top of the ACC good, but there's some talent there, and there's definitely some guys that can I, I feel like can turn into something. What is success for this team this season, in your opinion? To me, it is uh, playing well, uh, well enough to be in contention for the postseason, but also so that you can see positive momentum. Like, if, if you go out there and you play Oregon and Oregon beats you, that's one thing. But you go out there and you lose at UConn because you look like a bunch of monkeys trying to screw a football, that's not it. You know what I'm saying? I look at it almost. I feel like if I went back and listened to a podcast we did last season about this time, last year about this time, I would tell you that success for UVA looked like this. And I almost feel like it's the same exact example. What do you feel like success is for UVA in 2016? Dave, let's start with you. What is success for the Cavaliers this season?
1: I agree with most of what you said. And, you know, I, I think we, we've got to not be dumb. Leave. I want to leave every game not feeling like <laughs> we a lost the ball. Don't a be dumb. hit a decision. <laughs> What did you say?
0: That's that's a hell of a bar. Don't be dumb.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, no, it is. But I'm saying, like, that seems simple. But if he can go a 12-game schedule without a Virginia fan turning off the TV or walking out of the stadium and saying, we did that to ourselves by a coaching decision, that is progress. Because (laughs) it's nice to believe in your coaching staff because we haven't had that in a while. However, I mean, I think... Success for the program you know, is fixing that, showing everything you said. But the problem is the program is largely based on the head coach, and that's what we're really talking about. And, and when you start looking at it, like it's almost like, and I, I don't want to be that guy, but if Virginia doesn't win this year, the, the chances of Virginia being better next year than this year, just with the amount of pieces we're losing – for graduation okay, that's a good point. to
0: the NFL. But but, okay, time out. But you're you're veering away from the question because, honestly, success in this year doesn't have anything to do with next year. Like, I agree with you that, like, if they're going to be successful, they're probably more likely to do it now versus then because of some of the, the issues they're going to have in certain positions yep. and whatnot. But you're, that that's kind of veering off into, into straw man land. Talk to me about this year. What is success this year and why?
1: Well, the reason I mentioned next year is I think you've got to win this year to, to help next year not be such a drop off so maybe maybe you know five wins and you look competent is good normally i think you've got them you've got to make a bowl this year just for the player development you get from those extra practices um so success for virginia i'm not going to say like you know having a it'd be great if one of the if benker turned out to be a an, an all-conference caliber quarterback and you know we get two years of that um but you know, I, I know it sounds simple and it's a cop out, but literally scheming. We, I, I want to leave games thinking we schemed that opponent correctly, we executed well. Maybe we had a couple of penalties of aggression, which I guarantee you we're going to see. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and it's just kind of creating an identity for Virginia football because we haven't had one.
0: Yeah, I mean, because, like, yeah. as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, man, what would it be like to have a message board that, uh, for a team that you cover that doesn't bungle around, right? That doesn't make – Well, it's
1: like the Tony Bennett later to Bennett. Yeah, exactly. It's like,
0: like I'm just thinking, like, man, what are Saturdays going to be like this fall if that actually comes to pass, What you just said. Like, maybe there's some games that they lose. Um, maybe they're just not quite good enough or the other team executes or what have you. But, like, these late-game decisions or these these ina- this, this inability to essentially get out of your own way – like if they turn that around, they're competent, you know what have you? Like I, I I guess my thing is like as I as I thought about this question and as I tried to kind of answer to my own brain, I kind of came to this idea of like how many more points is Bronco hall worth? You know what's the positive negative right? How many points is he gonna? Uh, what w- his leadership or his staff or whatever? What's that gonna? Wins mean over
2: to
1: wins gonna- over Mike London? <laughs> Justin's got this number.
0: No no I'm just saying no no how, like. Point like what does he like if Vegas was breaking this down and Vegas said okay home field advantage is worth X to to a team right because they know that right that's part of the thing that factors in I'm just looking at I'm thinking how much better is Virginia coached by this coaching staff developed by this coaching staff under a plan organization by this coaching staff what does that mean for them offensively and defensively does it mean an extra you know a, a plus what eight, nine points? Because I think that's very realistic, right? And a touchdown and maybe an extra point less, more? I mean, what are we talking? Because if if it's eight or nine points, like, that is a significant amount to the point where Bronco himself said, well, you know, you're looking at a difference of, you know, what are their averages losing loss per game? Like, I I think I understand where people are coming from that the talent itself has to continue to develop and that when you're switching systems, there is some growing pains in that. But I'm like, guys... Like, how different? I mean, just look at this. Look at the stuff that's come out in the last like, how much I feel like the quotes I've even written just in this week. Like, how much is so drastically different? Bronco has an exact number, of, can, can like pinpoint how, how much he does out of season that is not competitive work. He can talk to you about the labeling of the different types of work. Like, that part to me. That aspect of what this turnaround is like, I'm not saying they're going to go out there and win the ACC championship. I'm just saying, like, dude, like, it doesn't take a whole lot to win some of these games if Virginia was losing, right? And I kind of feel like it's, I mean, I'm, like, I'm not saying he's going to show up and take the SAT and he gets 800 points by signing his name, but I almost feel like he's going to get 800 points by signing his name. Ferber, what do you think? Am I, am I wrong on this?
2: Uh, not necessarily. I don't know if he's worth eight or nine points, but, um, Cause that's a lot for a game, but uh, yeah, I think it's definitely worth something. Uh, and it's kind of one of those. Hmm. The way I would put it is, I think if you're looking for like what makes for a good identity, if that you're still asking me that, um, is find yeah like find an identity on offense especially, and stick with it and try to. Um, one thing I'd say is like play. Maybe not. I mean, I understand, like, BYU wasn't first in the nation in penalties. Uh, They might have been first in most penalties allowed. (laughs) Um, But uh, I don't expect everything to be clean, but I I want it to be smart. Um, And like Dave said, I I don't want – you don't want to walk away feeling like the kids got shortchanged by the coaches. Um, And I think a good starting point would be kind of like winning the games that they should win and – uh, getting back to being able to go into somebody else's, or you know, stadium town, whatever, and win, and you know, have a few moments here and there where you're like, wow, they are just out scheming the other team, and they have no idea how to. St-. Like, when's the last time you were like, they have no idea how to stop UVA for more than like a quarter? Um, when they're playing Miami, <laughs> that's about it. right? But that was more because of just will. Yeah. Like, not because they couldn't do it. No,
1: that, that was two staffs who didn't know how to scheme. That's what that was.
2: <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there were segments of that game against Notre Dame where they where they were playing well, but that was because Steve Fairchild threw the play, play chart away and just did something totally different for, like, two or three quarters. Yeah, <laughs> <And a> lobotomy. <laughs> and then never did it again. And just never did it again. It was right. the strangest thing I've ever seen. Right, exactly. And, and I think that if they can, you know, develop some kind of, You know, you want to have a feeling that, like, we know who, I mean, for better or worse, we know what Clemson is and what North Carolina is and what Georgia Tech is, right? I mean, they have something that, you know, you kind of expect going. And, like, that makes my preview easy, right? Um, When I know that, all right, triple option, that's what they're going to run. You want those other, like, teams to feel like they know what UVA is and they still can't stop it.
0: Well, I think that's a uh, that's a good place to put a pen in it because I think that's gonna be the question that we we struggle with, we think about, we we probably will talk about it again probably on the preseason podcast. But like I said, I I think and Justin doesn't think it's eight or nine points, dude. I, I just I don't know, man. Like that's a touchdown, touchdown. And I'd a say half. I'd
2: say a good coach is worth like six points a game. Yeah, I'd say Over five. Or
1: six. Right,
0: but but if you go from a bad coach or a bad staff, God, I feel like I'm throwing so much shade. Hey, if they made it 50 minutes in, that's fine. Um, if, you, if you go from, like, so subpar, there's a certain thing that you get to just to get to equal, right? Just to be competent, as Dave said, right? What's the, what's the point differential between where they were and competent, right? Now, if the coach is any good, even if it's just, like, three little clicks, right? Let's say Nick Saban's, like, 15 clicks or whatever, right? Like, if it's just a few clicks, what is that few clicks plus competent? What does that mean? Like I'm not like again. I'm not trying to say that they're gonna go out there and 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 make a run to the BCS. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that like if
2: what you're saying is they were underperforming before, right? Exactly. And so they when they come back to the up to right, equal, right? Exactly.
0: It's like once it gets once they get warm enough to get to equal, and then they get the bump that they get from having a pretty decent coaching staff with a good plan. Like, what does that mean for the old, for the whole bottom line? And I look around and I think an offense that an offense that wants to get the ball out to playmakers and has two guys ready to roll like Mizell and Zacchaeus, along with some other guys who I think have not really been scratched the surface, plus multiple backs. I mean, like they're going to have a, what Jackson Mateo called a Swiss Army knife, right? So you do have some question marks. How good is the offensive line going to be? Who's the quarterback going to be? And what's this? Okay, I get that. Defensively, they've got probably the, one of the conference's best two safeties, right, uh, a guy who who you would hope can see the field in, in a – in his third year. I mean, that's one of those things that probably won't change too much. You might actually have a system that kind of fits your five-star top 15 defensive net finally. And you do have a lot of experience back. Even though you need some outside backers, you've got some stuff back in the middle. Like, I just look at this and I think, man, it is not that much of a stretch. Maybe that's the way I should explain it. It's not that much a stretch to think that this team can be markedly improved and to think about what that means with an easier schedule. Maybe that's the way to – maybe that's the appropriate kind of way to frame yeah. what I'm Oh, yeah, and I I'm think the biggest
2: say. thing is honestly, like, I feel like now the players – I don't think the coaching staff that UVA had last year were bad teachers. They were just teaching people different things. Right, like, and, they, and what they did fit. was, like, try, they were trying to fit a puzzle together, whereas, like, it's like uh, they were trying to – you know, like, build around what, you know, it, it was kind of like we just have to find a way to put all these pieces together, right? Yeah. Were, Whereas I, it's, it's it, it, and then, you know, it's like, or you can do it the way where it's like you have the strategy and then you build everything out around right.
0: it. Right. I, I likened it on the radio not long ago to building a house on quicksand. You know, it might look good, but it ain't going to last. You know, like, they're, they're trying to put pieces in places that they shouldn't have been um nothing really ever felt like it fit together and certainly away from the field you didn't have what you need to have to be successful um so i think it's going to be kind of a fascinating uh fall in a variety of ways i think like i said that's a good place for us to to put a pin in it i want to thank everybody out there for giving us a listen as always for supporting the show for supporting the the site Uh, my thanks to uh david and justin for being with me tonight um we will be back hopefully next week. Um, we'll have like a post, uh, I guess a pre-camp um, kind of thing. We'll maybe go in with some question marks or some, some things we, we want to see. So look forward to, to get back with you guys again. Hopefully there's no Luke Bryan concerts that anybody has to go to. Um
1: or anything. Come on, man. We told him that was dead.
0: Hey, listen, I needed something for the moment and it worked, okay? I'm sorry. For David Spence, for Justin Ferber, I am Brad Franklin, publisher CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.